0: The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association
1: with EY, building a better working world.
0: Hello, and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from The Irish Times. It's budget time once again, and this week I'm joined by a panel of experts to try and make sense of the main budget measures. Later, you'll hear from Cliff Taylor and Mark Paul of The Irish Times and EY's head of tax, Kevin McLaughlin. But first, I'm joined by Jennifer Bray our political staff to discuss the main points from the budget. Jennifer, maybe you can just take us through the main elements of
2: budget 2022. Sure, so this is a budget that has been billed as one that will tackle the cost of living. And I think it has gone some of the way Towards that, uh, it is obviously the 4.7 billion package of new spending measures announced in the doll this afternoon. I suppose the headline measures that we we knew a bit about beforehand, but obviously were announced this afternoon, include an across the board five euro increase in welfare payments uh, from January, a five euro increase in the fuel allowance from tonight, the night of the budget, a full payment of the Christmas bonus, 520 million euro tax package um, and of course the increase in the carbon tax by 750 per tonne to 41 euro. There's a couple of other measures in there in relation to the public service and in relation to families. So I'd be looking here at say for example 100 100- or 1,000 extra teachers, 800 extra Gardi, and then for families the extension families and children, the extension of the free GP care for children to the age of eight. Of course, one of the biggest uh, parts of the budget and one of the, the issues that was watched most closely was in relation to the business support system, the eWiz scheme, um, and we know now that this will be extended until next April. Um, obviously, for the hospitality sector, a big issue was the 9% VAT rate, and we know that's extended until um, next summer as well, next August, and then we have kind of the perennials, uh, the yearly chestnut, which is the 50 cent on a pack of cigarettes. Um, There's a couple of other interesting bits, I suppose, that we didn't have the full figures for before, um, and these relate to COVID. Obviously, the question is, how how much will the government need, how much will the country need in COVID spending next year? Very hard to actually uh, forecast, given we don't actually know what's going to happen with COVID um, or what, what the trajectory of the virus will be. But we know that there will be a €4 billion Euro contingency fund, um, which will be put aside and many of of the COVID uh, funding that had been put aside for health up until now will actually be retained. So they're the kind of headline measures. Obviously, it it struck me that there will be measures that will benefit families, but also measures that will benefit younger people, which is an interesting sort of political aside.
0: Yeah. What about this much talked about reduced uh, transport costs for people who are aged, is it 19 to 23?
2: That's right, Jess. Yeah. So this will basically mean that there will be a 50% reduction um, for people in those age in that age group who use public transport, and that will include, you know, intercity routes, it will include the Lewis, it will include the bus. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think what the Green Party probably would have liked would, would be to extend a scheme that would have a 100% reduction, but obviously uh, there was negotiations in relation to figures and, and how much the, the state could afford, and this is where it landed. I suppose there's a couple of other interesting bits and pieces for for younger voters, I suppose, that they might be interested in. You know, obviously, we have the increase in the national minimum wage that will go up to 10.50 an hour. Um, and we will also will see the maintenance grant for third level students increased by 200 euro and the qualifying income thresholds expanded by 1000 euro uh, and, and then the distance that you need to get that higher grant will be reduced it used to be 45 kilometers and that'll now be 30 kilometers and then even things like dental contribute or dental treatment benefits so it used to be the case that people between the age of um between the age of 25 and 28 would have to have 260 weeks contributions and now that's cut massively actually down to down to 39 weeks um, and then i mentioned the, the minimum wage earlier on we will see a tweaking in the universal, the top rates that the universal social charge, and the ceiling, basically to make sure the people who get the increase in the minimum wage that they're not put into the next tier of the universal social charge. So that's for for younger voters. And then there's, I suppose, families will have been watching the budget very closely to see what will be in it for them. And we we, we heard in the doll, Michael McGrath talking about a seven hundred and sixteen million euro investment in childcare. Now he said that this budget would mark a turning point in the state's approach to the early year sector that remains to be seen I suppose what they did announce was that universal childcare subsidy will now be extended from children of three up to 15 from next September and that will benefit um you know thousands of children will cost around five million euro there's a couple of welfare um there's a couple of welfare changes that will also benefit parents and then there will also be the increase in in, in parents benefit itself from two weeks to seven weeks from July and obviously the welfare package is 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 massive.
0: Jennifer, it's early days, I know, but any uh, potential banana skins here politically for the government?
2: I think there are a few. I think for the government to, firstly, on the fact that they have said this is a budget that will tackle the cost of living. You know, there have been statistics that show that the cost of living in Ireland is anywhere up to 36% higher than other countries in the EU. And when you actually drill down into the figures in relation to personal taxation, um, the changes for some workers are potentially only around a euro or €2 euro a week. Um, now, look, you know, every, every little helps and all that. but I suppose when you're you're talking about addressing that gap it doesn't really go very much of the way and um, I suppose the other two areas that there could be problems in relation to the first one is housing the the biggest heckles in the doll and the biggest reaction from the opposition came when the government said that they were serious about tackling the housing crisis and they announced their new land value tax that will actually uh, have quite a long lead-in time um, leading the opposition to say that the government aren't very serious about tackling the housing crisis also when we talk about rent if you look at the speeches what's in there about rent it was a rent uh, relief basically for, for landlords when they're pre-letting effectively um, as they're getting a premises ready and that, that has been extended so they're, they're quite open there I think in the housing side even though they've already had their day in the sun with the housing for all plan I suppose the, the other area then like I said the housing and the land tax and the personal taxation I think they are actually the, the, the biggest areas that they are right now exposed to the biggest areas where I can see kind of a, a banana skin if you will
0: Yeah okay um, let's see how that plays out Jennifer I know it's a really busy Day for you. So we're going to let you go. Thank you for joining Inside Business. I'm going to move now to Cliff Taylor. Cliff, you've been following budgets probably for more years than you care to remember. Um, what was in it? What were the main items in this for you?
1: Thanks for pointing that out, Kiran. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I suppose the thing that framed it for me really was the um, the extraordinary upgrade in the public finances. The outlook for the public finances, which we saw last weekend in the pre-budget white paper. Which suddenly meant that uh, the two ministers were able to do what they wanted to do, while still announcing a big cut in borrowing next year and a much lower borrowing level next year than might have been expected. So, if you look back to what the Department of Finance was saying in the summer, uh, they reckoned that the Exchequer was going to have to borrow fourteen billion, uh, more than fourteen billion next year to bridge the gap between uh, between spending and taxation. That figure has now come down on budget day to eight and a half billion. Now that is, you know. That's an extraordinary change in the course of a couple of months. And okay, we're coming out of a pandemic. Nobody knew, how, nobody knew how the economy was going to react, how the economy was going to bounce back. But it does indicate that there's been a really strong bounce in the economy over the last, uh, you know, over the last six months, particularly driven by consumer spending. And I think that it's happened much more quickly than expected. So I think that allowed the government to give, to give, you know, little bits of money all over the place uh, and, and still, and still, if you like, uh, bringing in a lower lower borrowing borrowing figure than expected um it is very much a spending budget i, I know there was some reaction afterwards to uh, you know some russian shortall and some uh, opposition td saying look the the additional money that went to tax cuts should should have gone to spending but really this is all about spending uh we've you know a 4.7 billion package and 4. $2 billion of that's gone to spending. And already there was more spending built, you know, baked into the figures before before we even got to that. So the, the tax cuts are, are, you know, are really small compared to that. This really is a spending budget. And it's the booming economy that's allowed the government to pay for it. I guess the question is, you know, how, how how is that going to look, you know, in two or three years' time? Are we still going to be seeing the same race of growth? Can we rely on the gift that has kept on giving, uh, corporation tax, you know, to keep on giving yet again over the next few years? And you have to reckon, you know, that even if we get a kind of a, a plausibly decent outcome from that, we're not going to see corporation tax going up at the same rate that it has been. So the spending looks like it's going to keep going back up. We've been able to delay the, the decisions this year on how we're, you know, we're going to pay for that, how we're going to pay for the bigger state. But I think those decisions are looming and they're probably looming as, as soon as next year's budget.
0: Sure. Kevin Maclough, in your head of tax at EY. And I saw a note come in from EY earlier saying that the personal taxation measures that were announced uh, by the government in terms of the, um, the, the tax bans, the tax credits, the UAC, USC rate, um, going to be worth for high earners, uh, up to 415 euro per annum for those on the higher rate of tax. It's, it's not insubstantial. Yeah. I
3: mean, I think it's, it's probably been one of the bigger expansions of the standard rate band. Um, but I think it is interesting that, you know, as uh, that. To say that, you know, um, that you give with one hand and you take away with the other. But I suppose again, you know, carbon taxes have been kind of legislated for last year. So, you know, again. Everybody will face increased fuel costs associated with rises in carbon tax. And again, one thing that didn't really get a mention today, but which was announced earlier in the summer, was again a rebasing of valuations for local property taxes. So again, yeah, the expectation is that you know the increased yield from your local property tax would be quite significant. I think around about five hundred million. I think the total cost of the the, the changes to the personal rate bounds was close to about six hundred. So so I think while the 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 personal income tax changes actually are. Aren't, aren't insignificant I think the, the reality I suppose is that some of those will go to pay for increased carbon taxes
0: and an increased local property tax bills. I'm sure you and your team have been going through the fine detail of the budget documents uh, what else have you noticed on the tax side? Yeah, I think probably just to echo um
3: maybe Cliffs point first to begin with because I think uh, it, it's very clear that it's that increase in consumer spending and that that the return to higher employment numbers that are driving higher Exchequer revenues obviously with the addition of, of very buoyant corporation tax revenues. I think and while that the, there's very really positive news around how that deficit is 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 shrinking a little bit, it's a, still a substantial amount to bridge and I think the question is it is seems to be fundamentally based on the ability of the economy to sustain the, the level of activity that it has, because it's hard to see that, you know, just further kind of return to employment and that kind of consumer led spending is going to plug the gap completely. So it is very much hinge on that future um, uh, economic growth being maintained at, at its current levels. But it is an interesting contrast as well, I think, when you look at other countries and what they've done. So the UK is a good example recently, again, where it probably would be off the back of economic, uh, and economic. Outlook that may perhaps isn't relatively as positive, where they would have gone down the route of raising taxes, raising employers, uh, you know, the equivalent of employers PRSI as, as part of their steps to bridge the gap. And I think, as Cliff says, we haven't done that this year. There is a question as to whether that might be needed in, uh, in future years.
0: And Kevin, um, potentially a, a small tax break for those who are working from home. In terms of their electricity bills and broadband and so on, although mind you, if you look at the the documents, the budget documents themselves, um the cost of the state is only 11 million euros, so it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a huge amount of money for for people working from home. Yeah,
3: again, I think we've calculated, uh, Kieran, that it's probably worth just over about a hundred and odd euros to, to kind of a higher rate taxpayer. So, you know, it's not going to, to turn the dial significantly um, in, in that regard. But I think there were other measures, I think, for business that actually were were broadly positive, particularly on the funding side, you know, kind of the, the relaxation of some of the restrictions in the EIIF uh, scheme, the kind of strategic investment fund, which is geared towards innovation, the, the kind of tax break for startup companies in terms of, you know, not paying tax for the first three years has been extended to five years. And I think that is very much, I think, designed to try and encourage early stage Irish businesses to create employment. And, and interestingly, I think to try and do it on a regionally balanced basis, which I think probably recognises that that entrepreneurial community, if you like, is more likely to do that, perhaps, than, than bigger FDI.
0: Mark, you've been looking at some of the business measures included in the budget. And what struck me is that the Restaurant Association was out of traps very quickly to describe the budget as a disaster for its members Um, saying that they're going to really need a lot of help over the next five years. That was before Michael McGrath had even stood up to give his part of the budget speech. Um, Have they resiled from that at all? Because there were some measures in there for the hospitality sector in Michael McGrath's speech, or are they sticking to their line? Well, look, DREI is, uh, is, is prone sometimes to a little bit of hyperbole, and I think maybe that
4: falls into that category. Look, if, if the budget was a meal uh, you know, the, the, for, for the Restaurants Association of Ireland or for anyone else in the hospitality industry, if it was a meal, I think it was a sweet and sour, I think is the best way to look at it. Um, the sweetness came in the form of um, €60 million Euros for to, to extend a commercial rates waiver to the end of the year. Um, there was uh, €39 million Euro in there for tourism marketing to bring more foreign tourists into the country. But, of course, the sour bit of it and, and what really really prompted the RAI to call it a disaster was the failure to extend the special tourism VAT rate of 9% beyond the end of next August. Now, this is something that that wasn't just flagged by the government in the summer, it was actually confirmed that they were going to do this. So this was already known. And what the tourism and hospitality industries were lobbying hard for was this to be extended even further. Now, from one point of view, um, you know, it's a measure that is absolutely loathed by um, um, mandarins in the Department of Finance. They really, really dislike it because it's a very expensive and very blunt measure the last time that it was in place and um, from 2011 until 2018 i think it was um, um, the, the Department of Finance concluded that it was a dead weight measure. They said there was an awful lot of dead weight in it. Um, but the other side of the coin is that when it was first announced or reintroduced, should we say, in, in the budget last year, um, and what followed after that was almost six months of lockdowns when the industry got no good out of it at all. Because, I mean, if there's no trade, if there's no tourism happening, if pubs and restaurants are shut, it doesn't matter what the VAT rate is, um, and, and you get no benefit out of it. And it was originally supposed to cost 401 million euros from last year's budget, to the end of this year. Now you know, about six months of that was gone. So conceivably, you would have thought that they would use that to extend it further. It'll cost about 250 million quid to extend it to the end of August. Um, but but I think sometimes people underestimate it. They see a change from 9% VAT going back up to 13.5% VAT. And they say, sure, look, it's only 4.5%. Sure, you know, that's that, That's not the end of the world. That's 4.5 percentage points um, um, from that business's top line. Um, um, so that if you're making a 1% profit, um, 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 that's going to put you into a 3.5% loss. If you're Making um, a five percent profit, it's going to turn it uh, into a zero point five percent profit. So it's a huge, uh, it's a huge change for businesses. Um, um, But look, it's a very, very expensive measure. There were other measures in there to boost the tourism industry. I mean, I noticed Catherine Martin, uh, the Minister for Tourism, was tweeting that she's going to put up, um, or that she secured ten million euros um, um, for for digital technology, for skills training, and also to support um, the U.S. college football game that's coming to 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 Dublin next year. That's part of a drive to bring in. US tourists. And um, this 39 million euro for tourism marketing, the bulk of that will go towards um, um, to tourism Ireland for international tourists. And then, of course, there was um, the big ask, another big ask of the tourism ministry was to try and restore plane routes. I mean, planes were mothballed all over the world during the winter and during lockdowns. Um, and, and, and of course, every country is out now trying to restore their airline routes at the same time. So Michael McGrath announced, um, um, Ninety million euros, and 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 which will basically be spent uh, on inducements to airlines to reopen their routes, and uh, and that's going to be that's going to be uh, critically important. The mood music from airlines like Ryanair and from other airlines is that demand is there. If if people are allowed to travel and if they feel safe, and of course that's dependent on the public health situation, they will travel. So next year will really be the year, and um, where we'll see how and in what sort of health the tourism ministry will exit the pandemic. If of course um, the exit comes next year and we don't fall back into the same public health
0: wrap again. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Cliff Taylor, the EWSS, the wage subsidy scheme, is also being extended. Uh, he said there'd be no, um, no pun intended here, Cliff, uh, there'd be no cliff edge scenario uh, with the EWSS. Um, but it is being tapered off, and there will be kind of a two-tier structure to it in the future, won't there?
1: Yeah, nothing worse than a, nothing worse than a cliff edge, uh, <laughs> here on. Yeah, it's been tapered, and it, it's, it's, it's been tapered in the way that kind of they, they had thought about doing last year. And kind of pull back from because their restrictions are reimposed. Um, so so it'll move to a two-tier structure, and it'll be, it'll be, um, it'll be phased out then completely by the end of next April. So, plus side for for businesses is uh, they get an extension, and for I suppose a lot of retail businesses, a lot of hospitality businesses, that extension will help them to get through the winter, which is traditionally particularly for the hospitality sector. Uh, the worst time, you know, certainly those months after Christmas when <clears throat> people don't have any money, um, is, is the worst time. So, so, so that's um, that's good news for, the, for for those businesses. I mean, I think talking to people in the uh, in the sector recently uh, for a piece I was doing, I mean, they are worried about what happens when those subsidies are phased out completely. Uh, they're worried about what state their businesses are going to be in. And you know, as of now, they're saying if if the subsidy rug is pulled from under me, I, you know, I don't know if I can keep going. I certainly wouldn't be able to employ so many people. I guess the issue is where are they going to be next April? And from the government's point of view, the issue is, look, we've given you these special supports during during the pandemic. And assuming, as Mark said, that we're, we're, we're through the worst of it by then and we're not back into more restrictions, the government will feel that it can't keep supporting businesses that aren't going to be viable in future. Uh, and you know that is just something that that I can't afford to do. So I guess the crunch was always going to come at some stage, and it looks like it's going to come next year. So, I mean, we did see the bankruptcy, the 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 um, the, the ban on bankruptcies, bankruptcies, if you like, lifted uh, recently, and and no no big rush to the courts uh, on the foot of that so far. I guess the question is, as the supports are phased out now over the months ahead, are are we going to see more businesses go to the wall and more businesses that can't make it? We'll certainly see some, Uh, but I guess at the same time, the government believes that you know it can't stay can't stay forever. On the VAT, the VAT rate, as Mark said, uh, I was kind of surprised he didn't knock that out till the end of next year. I would have thought, you know, I was a bit of a skeptic when it was introduced, and you know, there is certainly evidence that. It benefits, a, it, it benefits a lot of people who, who don't need the benefit, if you like. You know, it, it helps a lot of businesses, but it also helps those that don't need help. But nonetheless, I would have thought, given the state the sector is in, given the politics of it, it might have been the thing to do to knock it out to December next year and say, look, that's that's going to be it then. Uh, but he certainly, I think, set himself up for a fight next year. And if there's one thing local TDs are going to be lobbying on heading into next year, that is certainly going to be one of the issues that's, uh, that's going to stay around.
0: Yeah, one of the things, uh, Cliff, that uh, struck me was the uh, employment numbers. I mean, there, he's talking about 400,000 uh, jobs being created between this year and next, which uh, is kind of extraordinary when you think about it. Now, I, you know, I, I know that the economy is coming back, but nonetheless. Um, and some of the, the, the public finance numbers as well, the headline um, stuff, they're actually pretty, pretty good when you consider uh, what we've been through over the past 18, 19 months.
1: Yeah, they're extraordinarily good. And I think they've taken the department by surprise. And they've pretty much taken all private sector forecasters by surprise as well. And you'd have to think that uh, Pascal Dunhu and Michael McGrath would have seen this coming for the last few months and been very careful to say as little as possible about it because they knew that the more they said, the more that door would be knocked on by other ministers looking for money to be spent or taxes to be cut in the budget. So they kept it under wraps. And uh, I think a lot of their ministerial colleagues are going to be coming back to them and saying, hey, look, you never told us about that. Uh, but they've, they've kept to the spending limits and... and uh, that were set out in in the summer economic statement last year. So th- th- those limits have been adhered to in terms of the amount of money that's going to be spent next year. So what that's meant is that it's allowed them to put some money into a contingency fund. First of all, the four billion fund that I think Jennifer referred to, which is up from two point eight billion that had been uh, had had been planned, and secondly, it's allowed for borrowing to be to be much lower. Uh, so it does give them a bit more leeway, I think, going into next year. Um, you know, if you're borrowing eight billion rather than fourteen billion. Another two years, the budget might be back in balance if growth remains strong. Uh, It does make the exit for the public finances from the pandemic look a lot better than it would have been. But of course, we've seen how quickly, I guess, the figures can turn up and, you know, let's hope it doesn't happen. But really, we have very little idea how the world economy is going to exit from the pandemic over the next couple of years. We have very little idea what inflation is going to be like, what interest rates are going to be like. All really key factors for a small economy like Ireland. The Brexit threat is still shuffling around there in the background so there are a lot of uncertainties there and you know let's just hope that 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 things can stay on track because it'll make the it'll make the decisions in next year's budget and the ones to come an awful lot easier Kevin what's the EUI view
0: on inflation
3: yeah, I think um, it's very interesting. I think that the, uh, the the kind of introductory comments were very much around recognising cost of living driven by inflation. I think I think what the minister did talk about was trying to determine how much of those were temporary and how much of them were actually longer term. Uh, but actually, didn't go into huge detail as to uh, as to actually giving a view one way or the other. I think it's pretty clear when you look at other jurisdictions that inflation is heading up heading north and doesn't look to be any short term fixes to that. I think one of the ones that I think is really important. And I think it is the kind of labor piece because again, I think that was called out. The labor shortage was seen as one of the drivers of of inflation. And again, I think if you ask a lot of businesses now, you know they've probably gone very quickly from you know um, uh, hunkering down, if you like, during the kind of restrictions, to now very very quickly being in a situation where the biggest crunch is actually the availability of talent, availability of labor, and and you can already see costs there actually rocketing quite significantly uh, north and. And and actually, how that shortage is tackled isn't really clear. There wasn't a mention of it really, other than the initial comment at the start that said, "Look, it was one of the contributory factors." But but actually, kind of that ability to create four hundred thousand jobs over the next year or two is is a, is a huge ask in reality.
0: Kevin, he also mentioned a, a land tax, which is going to replace the the vacant site levy. If you move in parts, I think it's fair to say, have you figured out what it's going to mean and what it's going to mean for people with land holdings and with zoned land for residential? Yeah, I think it's one of those ones,
3: Kieran, where the detail was, was kicked out to the finance bill, which, which will be published in a number of weeks time. So, so I, I think all we can do at this stage is probably speculate as to what the shape of it might be. It seems to be kind of designed to, to achieve a situation where, you know, depending on the current zoning status of your land or, or at particular dates into the future, this this three percent will kick in if you've held it beyond uh, i think twenty twenty two or sorry twenty twenty four I think actually was the date that they're they're envisaging and potentially twenty twenty five so it seems to be trying to encourage you know people to actually develop land over the course of the next two years and then having the stick available then after that and um, I, I suppose uh, what would be interesting to see is exactly what the funds raised from this would be used for so would it be effectively ploughed back because I think the difference one of the differences I should say um, with the, the current levy is that this is actually going to be collected by the revenue commissioners not local authorities but I think the extent to which let's say any funds that are raised from it are reinvested at that local authority level in kind of let's say investing in services or, or infrastructure effectively for sites to enable actually better development that, that piece is not clear just as you So I think the devil, I think, will definitely
0: be in the detail on that one. Yeah, I was struck by the fact that local authorities are going to have to develop and publish um, maps for these uh, sites, which um, strikes me uh, that could take some time. Mark Paul, uh, Pascal Donoghue in particular tried to strike a very upbeat tone about the shape of the Irish economy uh, coming out of the pandemic that we're in really good shape. And this was as a result of everybody putting their shoulder to the wheel. And now is the time for some prudent measures to make sure we keep everything on track. And keep debt levels uh, sustainable. I'm just wondering in the business community as a whole, are they feeling upbeat uh, about the future, about the economy, given, you know, all of the labor shortages that we hear about, all of the supply chain and logistics issues that we hear about? And all of the, um, well, I suppose that, you know, if you're a small business in particular, when these supports eventually do taper off, that's a crutch gone from under you um, and what the future might hold.
4: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it was really noticeable uh, in Pascal Donoghue's speech when he was talking about, you know, the, the, the consumer spending and the sort of wall of money that was going back into the economy. And I suppose, look, that served a purpose for Pascal Donoghue as well, mind you, because it meant he didn't really have to stand up there and uh, reach too deeply into his pocket for a whole bunch of measures for the retail industry, which outside of tourism and hospitality, is the other sector that was absolutely walloped um, um, during the pandemic. I mean, he was able to turn around and point to consumer spending um, and and effectively telegraphing without specifically saying, look, this is what's going to save you. People are spending money. They're opening their wallets. Therefore, I don't have to open mine for you. Um, the, the 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 retail sector um just to take that sector uh, on, on its own um retail excellence, which is one of the, the the main lobby groups in the sector, they said that it was not a budget for business and um, they struck quite a downbeat tone um um one of the issues actually that they raised aside from uh, uh, labor shortages and so on um um is uh, is is town centers this was also raised by chambers ireland and um, there was a little bit of disappointment among businesses out there that there was no specific and pot of money set aside to revitalise town centres and to bring people back in. And I suppose, look, the October twenty second um, lifting of all restrictions, and when you you know you'd hope that people would start creeping back to their offices a little bit more after that. Maybe that will give a little bit of a boost. But there, there was a, there was disappointment there. The labour shortages thing, I think, is really really acute in some sectors, uh, depending on where you are. I mean, it's, it's 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 there's a little bit of a paradox there for the hospitality sector. I mean, I mean, they're worried about their trade levels on one side, but on the other side, uh, you know, and 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 and. and you know they're saying that you know if you help us out we can create more jobs but on the other side of the coin they can't fill the jobs and um, um, that they have there is a real skills shortage in that industry and there was nothing uh, uh, you wouldn't expect to find it in a budget i suppose and um, but there was nothing to address that skill shortage there another issue that, that that is cropping up for an awful lot of businesses uh, as well from retail tourism hospitality and anybody based in around urban areas um is antisocial behavior um, and, and 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 maybe the 800 extra guards and um, and um, that were uh, that that were mentioned will help to address that but certainly not immediately I mean those guards have to be recruited and trained down in Temple before you can put them on the streets um, um, to stop young fellows egging cars at the top of O'Connell Street which is the type of thing that's been happening um, and and you know anti-social behaviour whether it's of that kind whether it's of street violence or muggings or just a general sense of eeriness that you, off, uh, that you find now sometimes late at night around Dublin city centre I don't know maybe I'm just an odd fellow Kieran but I often <laughs> seem to find myself striding the streets of Dublin very very late at night and you really notice that it is not quite the welcoming and um, um, jolly city that it was before the pandemic. I think there's a little bit more of an edge to it. And that is something that is really worrying businesses. And, uh, and, and Chambers Ireland and Retail Excellence both uh, call for measures to address that. So look, maybe in the next budget, um, 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 there'll have to be a pot of money for that. Let's hope that, uh, let's hope that these issues work themselves out in the meantime.
0: Yeah that's not a great uh, that's not a great tone to hit is it really if you're looking to attract tourists um having having a bit of an edge to your your city streets at night um Kevin I hate to bring us back to corporate tax because we're all sick talking about it over the past uh, couple of weeks but I will um what do you think the the corporate tax uh, measures the fact that we've signed up to this uh, 15% rate globally and um, what will that mean for the Irish economy going forward and um, not just in terms of our tax receipts but also in terms of of FDI and how they view Ireland, because I'm sure you talk to foreign direct investors in Ireland most days of the week. So what are they saying to you? Yeah, I think uh, the minister was at pains today, I think, to kind of, you know, further
3: explain or support the decision that that the government had taken to, to kind of join the, the framework um, agreement. And I think it was very strong on the basis that he felt there was two things that were, were achieved, I think, as a result of that. One was that they could actually maintain the 12.5% rate for what is effectively probably the bulk of, of Indigenous business in Ireland. So that gives predictability there. And I think then to kind of avoid a situation where uh, a minimum was a Agreed at global level, this fifteen percent, but then you know Ireland would lose control over what direction that might take in future years. So I think for Ireland to be able to fix at fifteen percent, I think the minister felt was was actually a really important a really important, uh, a really important um, uh, concession, if I can if we can frame it that way. But I, I think it, it's been interesting to, to observe the reaction internationally, Kieran, because actually most international business, I'd say, is not unduly perturbed by it. I think they see this as something that isn't directed at Ireland, particularly. Actually, it's just it's it's part of what's been an ongoing effort over a number of years to try and harmonise, I suppose, how inter, international rules and international tax policy better coordinates itself amongst the kind of international community. I think what it probably does is it it, it does mean you know there 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 will still be gaps you know so fifteen percent is the minimum then everybody has to agree to that everybody who signs up to that has to agree to that there still will be differences between that fifteen percent and what other higher rates some countries might choose to to operate. US and the UK being probably good examples there, where they're in the 20s at this stage. Um, but fundamentally, I think it, you know, I, I don't think there's enough there that'll shift the dial for existing investment in Ireland. I think they've a long history here, which has broadly been positive. But I think it's probably the importance going forward of some of the more non-tax uh, factors associated with our competitiveness, competitiveness, and particularly, probably comes back to the quality and availability of of labor and the kind of skills that intern- international business needs, if you like, in places like Ireland. So I think those non-tax factors will probably assume increasing prominence, I think, in these location decisions going forward.
0: Cliff, maybe just to finish on a political point, could you see the fingerprints of the three different parties in coalition government at the minute on this budget? Um, And is it enough for them to curry favour with voters? Because clearly uh, Sinn Féin are striding ahead in the polls and I know we're a long way out from the election and, you know, sometimes Sinn Féin's poll rating doesn't, um, th- doesn't translate into actual votes on the day. But nonetheless, Sinn Féin are breathing down the necks, particularly Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Now, does this budget do enough to move the dial for them in terms of their perception by voters?
1: Yeah, in terms of the, uh, in terms of the different parties, yeah, I think you can, see, you, can see it, you can see bits there all right. I mean, there are certainly green, the obvious green measures that uh, Eamon Ryan has been, has been talking about subsequent to the budget. And uh, there's a, some of the Fianna Fáil kind of support things on housing. For example, the um, the housing scheme has been extended. The um, help device scheme has been extended uh, at, a, at a higher level, which is something that uh, Darrell O'Brien, I'm sure, was arguing for. And I guess we've seen uh, Leo Varadkar in the last few weeks uh, pushing as well as for higher spending all over the place. He's been talking about tax cuts. And uh, while the amount of cuts we saw were small and arguably we're kind of the income tax regime is really just being adjusted for inflation and for kind of wage inflation, the increase a lot of people are going to get. There was there was something done there and probably more than than was seen in recent years. I think the second part of your question, will it be enough? I, I think a lot of it depends on, on delivery. I, I don't think the amounts of money included in this package are, are, are going to be enough to really change the dial in, peop- in, in terms of people's perceptions. You know, ventures would be that of an extra five euro and uh, people will be out of income tax cuts. But as Kevin said, they'll see the money going out in other directions. So I'm not sure that's going to be a huge deal. I think that the key thing for the government is going to come down to delivery uh, over the next uh, over the next couple of years. So there's massive amounts of money being ploughed into healthcare. I see some people coming out reacting afterwards saying, you know, it's still not enough. We still need more. We still need more to cut waiting lists and so on and so on. There's massive amounts going into investment in, in housing. Uh, and obviously Sinn Féin are on their case there saying, look, you need to spend more, you need to deliver. So I think delivery is going to be the thing for the government uh, in in, in these key areas. Can all these extra amounts of money, uh, and I think the higher tax that's going to go with it over the next few years, can they actually deliver better services for people? You know, are, are services at a better cost and services at a higher quality level? And you know, as we move towards paying kind of continental European levels of of taxation, can we get childcare and uh, and housing and the kind of things you know standards of living that that are typical in those economies? So I think that's that's the key issue for the government, and it does kind of it kind of encourages them maybe to hang together because they need the time to try and make those kind of things work. Because clearly now people have kind of lost faith a bit uh, in in that aspect of their agenda possibly some positives from their handling of the pandemic. I'm surely some positives from the handling of the pandemic and the vaccines and all that. But that doesn't seem to be counting in the polls. People now seem to be taking that as eaten bread and they're looking for delivery on kind of the old-style agenda. So we're going to be back to old-style politics uh, and a very interesting time. I think it's it's going to come down to delivery and it's all, also going to come down to whether the strong economic growth can continue because that just always makes things easier.
0: Mark-Paul, last word on this to you. Uh, on, on on whether or not it'll change. Look, I think that
4: the, I don't think it'll be enough for the government because I think the changes that are pushing Finch and Fane up the poll are much more fundamental. There's a fundamental shift in the access of politics and. Finnegale and Finnegale control as much money at this as they can, but it's going to be very, very difficult for them to resist the rise of Sinn Fein. Um, and because you can see it in the shifts amongst attitudes, amongst younger people, I think they're just fed up a little bit with the old political system. And uh, they just see any, any, any spending by Finnegale and, and, and Finnegale as just a sticking plaster over that. And uh, I'd be very surprised uh, personally if Sinn Fein uh, weren't in the next government either as a, as a minority or, or a majority partner.
0: Okay, well, plenty to ponder there. Uh, My thanks to Kevin McLaughlin, Mark Paul and to Cliff Taylor for joining us on this special budget podcast uh, from Inside Business.